Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Amen. You may be seated. It is an absolute privilege to to be here and to to be with you. And uh, uh, there were some very, very nice things. I was a little nervous, actually, when Pastor Christian said he's been married to Leanne for 22 years. I thought, hang on a minute. Did you you get a text message this morning? I thought I still am. At least I hope I still am. And uh, but anyway, I'm believing God. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, I was saying to some of the leaders last night. Just just want you to know what a gift you have in Pastor Christian and Pastor Melissa. Uh, it's very 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 easy. Uh, Pastor Fra- well, I was going to say Pastor Fraser, but he he is like a lay pastor. And uh, at Oxford Falls did a great job with the uh, the offering message this morning. We we're talking about just the battle for authenticity. And, you know, you don't have to be a, a pastor in a pulpit to have a battle for authenticity. I actually believe that really every man or every woman's battle is, is that. It's, it's a battle of authenticity. And what I mean by that is, is actually being real. The first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned was they sewed fig leaves together and hid, hid amongst the trees. That somehow they were ashamed of who they were or what they saw. And it's amazing how many people live there. You find that, uh, you know, in church, it's very easy to put on a church facade. So it's very easy to kind of, you know, you know, bless your brother. Oh, the Lord bless you. <laughs> Love you in the Lord. You know, say so all that kind of stuff, but, but not actually mean it in your heart. It's so easy to just go through the motions. And, uh, but a gift and real strength, I believe, is actually being the same person in a pulpit or the same person in church on Sunday as the same person in traffic Monday morning. I know that's my big battle. Traffic, you're stuck behind some jack wagon and you're running late. And it's like, hello, help me to be a Christian right now. But it's, it's, it's uh, you know, on, in the job on Wednesday and whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, a few months ago we did a, a series on relationships. And I, I love doing series in our churches because I learn as much as you know, as, as Connor is taught. And it was interesting because as I was doing some study, I really felt the Lord speak to me. And he says, you know, the greatest desire, whether you realize it or not, how many people know that you live on two, in, in, in two realms? You live on a conscious realm. You also live on a subconscious realm. You live on a conscious realm. There are things that you're conscious that, you know, right now it's hot. I need cooling. Uh, you know, it's getting close to lunchtime. I need to eat. You know, and, oh, I need some coffee or whatever. We live on a conscious realm, but we also live on a subconscious realm. In the subconscious realm, you know, we desire for, you know, certain things. Uh, you know, I really want to, you know, get married one day or start a family or, you know, be successful or, you know, gee, I hope God's got something for me. Some of these things can kind of, you know, percolate on a subconscious level. And I really feel God speak to me and says, you know, the greatest need that the people have, the greatest need that every human being have is, is to be loved. But even more than that, to be loved, to be known and loved. To be known and loved. See, it's one thing to be loved, because there are a lot of people that, that are loved but not known. There are a lot of people who are loved, in, but they're not known. So, so, so people join gangs, and they become something that, that's not authentic to who they really are, but out of fear of being rejected again, they become something that they're not in order to have affirmation and have love. But the, the greatest need, and this is what the church does. This is what the church, you won't, you won't find it 
in a, in a, in a Hells Angels bikey gang. You won't find, I remember, uh, you know, meeting someone and they, they had a bumper sticker on their car, love is a German shepherd. And I'm thinking, sweetheart, you need a bit of, you know, a bigger view of love. And, uh, you know, but they belong to the German Shepherd Association and, you know, love is a German shepherd. I'm like, oh, sweetheart, you know. Anyway, and so, so you can join a dog club. You can join a, you know, a tennis club. You can join all kinds of clubs. But it's only the church that will bring you to a place where you can actually find that you are known and loved. And I'll tell you, that's an incredibly courageous thing. And so when I look at your pastors, I've known them for over 20 years and, uh, and I've got to tell you, what you see is what you get. They are the real deal. They're, they are uh, on fire, in love with each other, in love with their family, in love with God, in love with his mission and purpose for their lives, not just here on a Sunday, but Monday through Saturday during the week. They, they, they live, eat, and breathe. And uh, I just want you to know just what an incredible gift you have. They were our assistant pastors for seven years when we were at uh, Oxford Falls and really helped us to take a youth ministry from maybe your 50, 60 people to, you know, close to a thousand uh, young people turning up in, uh, in the dif- different youth ministries that we had. And w- I, we could not have done what we did if we didn't have such incredible, high capacity, loyal, faithful people. And to see the Lord send them here to Noosa, I know it's a hard place to live. It's difficult. You know, those horrible beaches and cafes and, you know, sunshine and lifestyle. But, you know, you guys are all suffering for Jesus here. And, and, uh, but just, I'm telling you, they are a blessing. They are an absolute blessing. So would you put your hands together just and honor just your awesome pastors. <clears throat> I live in America where, you know, where, where we understand honor. And uh, you need to understand that uh, uh, honor isn't an American thing. Now, you need to understand it is, it, is, it is not second nature to Australia. Australia has the pull, the pull down the tall poppy syndrome mentality. And sometimes you can think, well, that's a, that's a good thing because, you know, we p- keep people on the same level and keep them humble and whatever. But uh, you need to understand that the language of the kingdom is honor. You, 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 you create invisible ceilings over your life. If your language is not honor, you will find that God will just keep you going around and around the wilderness until you change your language. Now that you're giving me that look, let me explain. The children of Israel, God's vision, God's prophecy, God's word to them was he's going to deliver them from Egypt into the promised land. I'm going I'm to take you out of Egypt. And I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. For 40 years, they were stuck on an 11-day journey. It's 11 days from Egypt into the promised land. 40 years later, they're still there. Why? Because of their language. It was their language that kept them out of the promised land. If you read the the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, but God was not pleased because they were constantly complaining, constantly criticizing, constantly grumbling. See, complaining will get you out of, but it cannot get you into. The whole purpose of the wilderness experience was for them to change their language because complaining is the language of victims. And God cannot take a victim people... 400 years of slavery and stick them into the promised land and have them take down giants because their confession, what was, the, what was the first thing they said? When we see the giants, we are like grasshoppers in our sight and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. How many people know there was no interview? 
How many people know that the children of Israel didn't go over? Excuse me, Mr. Giant. <laughs> what? Oh, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're not spies. We're tourists. We're just tourists. Um, could we, could we just, we're just doing a survey. Could we just ask you a few questions? When you look at us, what do you see? <laughs> Filthy little rodents. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's good. Um, actually, something from like the insect world. Cockroaches. Okay, yeah. Um, what about something fl- that fly? Grasshoppers. That's what we were after. Thank you for your time. How many people know there was no interview? Come on, how many people know there was no interview? There was no interview. This, this was their perception. Their perception came out of their confession. See, grumbling complaints. So let me just in, say all of that to, to learn the language of, of honor. Honor will do you good. God honors those who honor him. So learn the language of honor. So always appreciate the leaders and what God has done in your life. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, it's fantastic to be with you. Uh, I do have a book called Push, Pray Until Something Happens. Uh, I wrote this because of a really, uh, really sad experience I had. We, We went into a hospital, prayed for a little boy who was on a life support system. And uh, the doctor said he was brain dead. The doctor said that, uh, you know, he was basically game over and they wanted to, to disconnect. But we felt, I just felt the presence of God in the meeting. And so we prayed for the little boy. And uh, when they switched the machines off, instead of kind of dying, he kept, his heart just kicked in and lungs kept going. And then brain activity. And they said, well, he's going to be a vegetable all his life. And then he started kind of moving his fingers and opening his eyes. And they said, well, it's just, you know, it's just nerves. It's just, you know reflexes and then he started looking around the room and smiling when he saw his mum walk in the doctor says no he can't smile he's you know got too much brain damage and then then they said but you know you know he may look around the room but he'll never talk and then he started talking they said well you know he, you know he'll talk but you know he can't you know he's from the neck down he's paralyzed and then he started moving his hands and they said well you know he'll never grip anything and then he started gripping cups and they said well you know from from the waist down he'll you know he'll never walk and then he you know started moving his legs and, uh, and they said well you know he'll never get out of the hospital bed and then he got out of the hospital bed and started walking around they said well you know he's going to be a but it was always, and now he's you know at school and he's running around and everything. So it was a kind of a good experience. But then two, two months later, two months later, we're, we're, we're in the same hospital. And this is the freaky thing. I'm in the same hospital in the same ward. And there's almost an identical situation. A little boy who'd fallen into a pond and drowned. And it was almost the same age as, as this little kid. And, uh, but this family didn't, didn't go to our church. And it wasn't that you know God only heals people in our church. It wasn't like that. But... Uh, but it was a family in our church said, hey, listen, can you come and pray for this little, little boy? This is what's happened to the family. And so I got there, but there was no, there was no faith. There was, no, there was just this deep grief and loss. And absolutely, because there's this little boy on life support, his little lungs all swollen with water. And I felt God say, clear the room and I'll raise the little boy up. And so I said, oh, excuse me. You know, all the people were weeping and wailing. I said, excuse me. I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, but I, over there I have to say pastor. Because if I say pastor, they think I'm talking about spaghetti. And so I said, you know, excuse me, I'm a pastor. I said, you know, I'm going to just, if, can you just give me five minutes to pray for a miracle? If you don't believe that God can do a miracle, would you just mind just stepping out into the hallway for five minutes? I just need right now people that can believe with me for a miracle. And people looked at me like, you arrogant idiot. And, uh, and so I had to say it two or three times because hardly anybody would move finally about four or five people left and there's still a bunch of people on you didn't have faith didn't and anyway and so i said god what do i do and uh and god says right now they don't need they don't need jürgen they don't they don't need me they don't need my minister my ministry credentials my ex- what they need is god 
And so I, I walked into the corner of the hospital room and just began to speak in tongues because I know that this little boy needs a miracle and the Holy Ghost, come on, Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead works in us. So I just walked into the corner of the room and I just, I knew I needed to get God. And I just started speaking in tongues for maybe, I'm going to say maybe five or six seconds. When all of a sudden somebody grabbed my arm and shook me and said, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, oh, I'm, I'm just praying. He goes, you're praying in tongues. I said, yes, I am. Well, you shouldn't pray unless there's an interpreter. I said, well, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. And the Bible says, when I'm talking to God, it's none of your beeswax. I don't need to give you an interpretation because I ain't talking to you. And, uh, and so he says, I'm the father uh, of this little boy. If God wanted to, to raise him from the dead, if God wanted to do a miracle, he would have done it at the pond. He would have done it when we were waiting for the ambulance. He would have done it in the ambulance. We prayed three times. This is obviously God's will. And then the mum threw herself on the little boy and goes, God, we don't know why you took him. But we know it's for your glory. And we just, and this prayer, and I'm like, oh my, what? I, I, I honestly, I was so upset. I was so mortified when I left that I was angry. And God just said, this is what you're dealing with. If, if I had my way, and thank God I don't, I would have arrested their pastor. What kind of garbage does he teach people that God looks down from heaven and says, oh, I want that little boy. I'm going to drown him in a pond. It's for my glory. But people believe this. So basically that began a bit of a, uh, an anti-Calvinism stance. So if you're a Calvinist, I apologize ahead of time. And, uh, but anyway, so I wrote the book called Push. And the reason I wrote the book Push is because I've discovered that nothing in the kingdom comes automatically and that the will of God requires a level of pushing into the Apostle Paul says we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Matthew eleven twelve says the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. So we've got to push a little bit. So uh, you already got one of these, didn't you? She's got two of them now. Fantastic. Well, I just want to encourage you to get, which one's Kelly? Where's beautiful Kelly? Kelly, come on, Kelly. There you go. I said I was going to give you one last night. So I'm going to give this one to Kelly. Let me encourage you. It's got, uh, I think it's about 12 chapters in there on pray. It's got one chapter that God told me to write. It's, it's push is an acronym for pray until something happens. One of the chapters, God says, I want you to write a, a chapter on when not to pray. I said, God, not in this book. This is a book on prayer. And it's like, yeah, exactly. There are times when not to pray. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense, God. And he says, just write it. So I wrote it. And it's probably my favorite chapter in there. Because how many people know when Moses came to the Red Sea, he's got the Red Sea in front of him, the Egyptians coming up and the complaining people here saying, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the wilderness to die? And, And so Moses cries out to the Lord and God stops him and says, why do you cry out to me? Quit praying and step forward. Command the people to move forward. There's a time where you just declare. How many people know that Jesus... Oh, I'm not even going to go there. Anyway, get the book. Get the book. Amen. Can you stand up, sweetheart? I just had a word for you. I'm just so proud of you. What a beautiful testament. How many people love this young lady? Come on, give her a great round of applause. Great young lady. While, I, while, while you're up on that screen doing your beautiful story, I just saw the Lord with a beautiful golden key. And the Lord said he's going to unlock things in your heart. Dreams of a little girl. Things that were broken things that were dropped, things that that you brought out once and were rejected, so you hid them away. 
But God's unlocking and he's going to bring greatness out of you. He's going to bring potential out of you. He's going to bring beauty out of you. He's going to bring the dreams. Some of the dreams where you forsook the dreams thinking, oh man, maybe I was just shooting too high. God's, God is unlocking you. And he's unlocking those things. And the reason why, so the key is linked to this verse. It's Psalm 37 verse 4. Because you've delighted yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So just a great blessing on you. Amen. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. In the few minutes that we have left, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, John chapter 6. This morning I want to, I want to preach a message titled, Formula for a Miracle. Formula for a Miracle, John chapter 6, John chapter 6. Is that what it is? Formula for a miracle. There it is. Look at that. Praise God. All right. It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, verse 1, to the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Jesus went up on a mountain. There he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a multitude coming toward him he said to Philip where shall we buy bread that these may eat can I get you to underscore or underline in your Bibles verse 5 Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him said to Philip where shall we buy bread that these may eat but this he said to test him for Jesus himself knew what he was going to do Philip answered 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient that everyone can eat a little however one of his disciples Andrew Simon Peter's brother said to him hey there's a little lad here with five loaves and two fish but what are they amongst so many Jesus said make the people sit down now there was much grass in the place so the men sat down a number about 5,000 Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they wanted so when they were filled he said to his disciples gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost therefore they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did said this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world now one more verse and then we'll jump into this Luke 9 16 Luke 9 16 it's the same story just in the Gospel of Luke, but there's just one verse I want to bring out here, and then we're going to, we're going to jump into this. Luke 9, 16. It says, then, then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a word this morning. Help me to be concise and help me to be short. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I mean, I know it's probably a blasphemous thing for me to talk to you this morning about uh, the fact that there can be a formula for a miracle. That there, that there's such a thing as a formula. When I was in Bible college, we learned that God is unpredictable. And the reason he does that is because he's sovereign. And, and uh, you, know, that, you know, but can I just tell you, uh, how many people here have a Bible? If you have a Bible, lift it up in the air. If you don't have a Bible, just find a Christian. Sit next to them, ask if they'll let you read along with them. And, uh, but your, 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 your Bible, I'm not sure whether you realize what the Bible is, but the Bible is literally... God has, has rolled himself so that we have a print. This is God in print. 
This is God in print. In, in, John, in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Word of God. God has put himself in print. Why has God put himself in print? So that you and I might know him. Uh, I don't have time to unpackage this for you. You know, come back again tonight. But, but, but let me just tell you this. That, that there are some beautifully predictable patterns. There are some beautifully predictable patterns that you can actually build your life upon. You can build your life upon. Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. When the rains come down and the floods come up and the wind blows, his house will not fall, but it will stand because he's built his house on just on not just hearing, but on applying these sayings of mine. What I've found in this life, I did not grow up in a Christian home. My father was an atheist, told me from a little kid there was no such thing as God. He was born in East Germany on the side of communism and atheism, so I didn't have have a Christian upbringing. I didn't have a Christian context, but I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ on a beach, Matty Danswan, in 1986, January 1986, Matt Danswan. Stand up, Matt Danswan. He's one of the most handsome men, supermodel, married to another supermodel, beautiful Nikki. He won the junior event of the Christian Surfers Outreach the, the weekend I got saved. And I'm telling you, they're a beautiful couple. But I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, this God who I was told, wasn't real, I discovered was real. But then I was taught that, well, you know, God is sovereign and, you know, you can never put him in a box. And I don't believe you can ever put God in a box. But I want you to understand that God has given us his word so that there are predictable patterns that that we can base our life on. So this story today I want to talk to you about because this story applies to you and I. Whether you realize or not, the only miracle that Jesus did that's in all four gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only, only miracle that Jesus did that's in all four is the feeding of the 5,000. All of them were so impacted by it. The reason they were so impacted by it is because this is a snapshot of what you and I face in this life. Let, let me explain it. The Bible says Jesus, in verse 5 of chapter 6, Jesus seeing a multitude coming towards him, seeing a great multitude coming towards him, says to his disciples, where shall we buy bread that these people may have enough to, to eat? Can I just tell you that in this life, you, you and I will always be faced with the challenge of our vision exceeds our provision. Where our vision exceeds our current resources. Sadly, what a lot of people do is they lower their vision to their provi- they lower their vision to, to, to their resources. They, they, they once used to shoot for the moon. You ask a, ask a little 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 kid like little Zach, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be you know a policeman. I want to be a firefighter. Like little kids, they have no they have no problem. You ask a teenager, what do you want to be when you? Oh. something dies we live in a world that says hey lower your dreams lower your sights lower your vision I used to want to get married but you know I got heartbroken and I got betrayed and engagement broke off and there was betrayal and and now maybe maybe I'll just lower I I used to believe I could have a happy marriage but now I'm just I used to believe that I could you know prosper but I'm just going to I used to believe that I could break out of this poverty cycle but now I'm just going I used to think that I could own a home here in Noosa but now just watching the prices go up and too, too often what we 
do is we lower our vision down to our resources. Here is a snapshot. And I want to give you a formula today to tell you, keep your vision in front of you. Jesus is looking at 5,000 men plus women and children. Many Bible scholars will tell you there's between 12 and 15,000 people conservatively in front of him. Jesus has sees this massive multitude, but when he looks, he's got five loaves and two fish. He's, the vision in front of him is greater than the provision in his hand. In this life, when God called us to go to San Diego, we had five loaves and two fish. We had one couple, that were the two fish, who came with us to do the music, and there was me, my wife, and our three sons. We were the five loaves and two fish. And we went to San Diego, we didn't know anybody. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't need to know anybody. All I needed to do was fight the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? Not reducing the vision that God was giving me down to the provision or the resources that were currently in my hand. Listen, absolutely, if you're not born again and not, not you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely, feel free to lower your vision down to your provision. But if you come to C3 Noosa, you'll find that there is a spirit of faith in this house. You'll find that there's an anointing. You'll find that there is a God in this house that will say, lift up your eyes and keep a hold of your vision because God can multiply your provision. Do you know that that, uh, provision always follows vision? That's why it's called provision. Because it's for the vision. What's this for then? It's for the vision. Oh, that's what it's for. That's what it's for. Provision. Don't, don't, don't lower your vision. So watch this. So four, four things Jesus does. Four things Jesus does. The Bible says that, that he takes the five loaves and the two fish. The first thing he does is he looks up to heaven. The first thing you've got to do is look up to heaven. Here's the deal. You can't change what you don't see. You can't change what you... If you don't see that your marriage needs some attention, it's not going to change. If you don't see that you need to spend more time with your teenager who's making some bad choices or some dark choices, nothing's going to change. If you don't see that you need to to recalibrate your spending and get a budget, nothing is going to change in your debt. Until you see differently, nothing is going to shift. Nothing is going to change. So the first thing Jesus does is he looks up to heaven. Can I just tell you, the Bible says in Psalm 121 verse 1, it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my salvation. It cometh from the Lord. You need to lift up your eyes. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see. You know, there's a guy in the Bible called Abram. How many people remember Abram? Abram's name means, you know, a glorious father. And, and in Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, your exceedingly great reward. This is better than a genie in a bottle that you've got to rub the right way. This is God. God. Pierced to Abraham, here I am. You're exce- God is giving Himself to Abram. You would think this is awesome, God. You're mine, all oh mine. Woohoo! This is awesome. The God that spoke and created the universe. The God who God created the universe. Not evolution. God. That's why it's called a universe. You know, verse word uni one one word from one being. It's not a diverse, it's not a triverse, it's a universe because the, the one God spoke. Anyway, so, don't, so, so, so Abram's response to God is, so what? 
you imagine the rejection? Because what? Because so what? What's the point of all this blessing? When Eliezer of Damascus, a servant born in my house, is heir. See, I have no son. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Do you know what? Abraham or Abram is living in a place where most of you and I live. See, God is saying to Abraham, here I am, your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham's response is, man, what's the point of all this blessing? What's the point of all of this when Eliezer of Damascus is going to be heir in my place? I want you, God, to see what I don't got. I want you to see that I don't have a... I want you to see I don't have the right job. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the right, I don't have the right background. I don't have the right pedigree. I don't have the right upbringing. I don't have the right degree. I don't, we want to tell God what we don't got. We want God to see what we don't got. So God has to say to Abraham, Abraham, get out of your tent. Get out from under that narrow ceiling. Come on, somebody. Get, get out of that confined place and look up and begin to count the stars if you are able because more are your descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. In other words, God is saying to Abraham, I cannot change what's in Sarah's womb until you allowed me to change what's in your sight, what's in your vision. The first thing Jesus does is he looks up. The Bible describes in 1 Samuel 17, it describes Goliath. He describes Goliath. The whole, the whole first verses talk about Goliath. And a champion went out from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, nine foot nine. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of mail. He had a spear the size of a weaver's beam. Wow. What is a weaver's beam? Don't know, but it sounds impressive. He had a spear the size of a weaver's beam and a javelin between his shoulders and a shield bearer went before him. And morning and evening, he would present himself in the valley and says, give me a man that we may find. Everyone described him. They described the weight. They knew the weight of, of his, you know, his armory, you know, bronze on his, they, they, knew, they knew the colors. They knew the metal. They studied Goliath because to them, Goliath was the giant on the battlefield. But there was a little 15-year-old shepherd boy called David. And goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they're like, man, oh, what are you talking about? He goes, how come someone doesn't take him out? So they, they, he, he's a guy who'll fight him. He's a guy who'll fight him. He goes, I'll fight him. And Saul says, you can't fight him. Look at you, you little runt. He is, he's the eighth son. You're the runt of the litter. Look at you. What do you like to do, David? I like to play the harp. That's not going to help, is it? He's a warrior. What else do you like to do, Dave? I like to write poetry. David, you're not going to sing him to sleep. But you know why David prevailed that day? Because when David walked out, he says, you come against me with your sword and with your spear. But I come against you, catch this church, in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defied. See, everyone saw Goliath as the giant on the battlefield, not David. David lifted his eyes and saw that the Lord was the giant. He says, in this day, I will take your head from your shoulders and I'll feed your carcass to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air so that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. David lifted up his eyes and saw God the 
first thing you've got to do when you face difficulty, when you face challenge, is don't lower your vision, but lift up your eyes and get a heavenly vision. Let God reinforce. Let God reconfirm. Let God give you the word. We're all going to face challenges and difficulties, but don't lower your circumstances. Don't lower your vision down to your circumstances. Allow God to bring your circumstances to change. How many people know that circumstances shift? Circumstances shift, but don't lower your vision. Second thing Jesus does, he looks up, number one. Number two, he gives thanks. He gives thanks. Jesus, looking up to heaven, took the five loaves and two fish and gave thanks. Can I tell you, the Bible says in Psalm 100 verse 4, that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with. So whether you realize it or not, God lives in a gated community. Because the Bible says we enter his gates with thanksgiving. I live in San Diego. We live in a gated community. The reason we live in a gated community is there's security there. There's, once you enter the gate shut, no, no one, people can't get in unless they live in there and they've got to go through a guard to get in there. It's a gated community. So, so, so God says, God says, that you enter his gates with thanksgiving. See, the pathway to a miserable life is to be an ungrateful wretch. Just be ungrateful. But as soon as you begin to become thankful, whether you realize or not, there are invisible gates. Now, just because they're invisible does not mean they are powerless. The Bible says that everything that is visible was created from the invisible. When you begin to give thanks, whether you realize or not, you actually enter into God's secure compound. You enter into a dimension in God that is protected and secured by his gates. Where thief, robber, and enemy cannot penetrate. Where thief, robber, and enemy cannot penetrate prevail, cannot enter, cannot come in. Your stuff is safe. The devil wants you to become ungrateful. He wants you to whine and complain. That was the whole thing with Job. But Job refused to complain, refused to accuse the Lord of wrongdoing, but rather says, even if the Lord slay me, yet shall I trust him, yet will I serve him, because he refused. And the Bible says that God restored everything twofold back to Job and then gave him another 70 years of life to enjoy everything that God did. One week of persecution, another 70 years and double-fold blessing on his life. Can I just tell you, you, you and I, we are better. We are better people when we live in thanksgiving. Now, there are three dimensions of thanksgiving. I'm thankful for what God has done. Anybody thankful for what God has done? Begin with thanking God for what he's done. Thank you that you saved a wretch like me. Whoa, whoa, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Thank God that you, you now see. Thank God that you're not who you used to be. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what he did. I'm thank you for my beautiful friends. I thank you for my beautiful life. I thank you for my beautiful wife, for my beautiful children, for the opportunity to serve you. I thank you for this. I thank God for what he's done. But can I tell you, I don't leave my thanksgiving there. I also thank God for what he's doing. I thank God for what he's doing. See, most people, you know, a lot of churches will preach to you what God said. They'll preach the Logos to you. What, this is what God said. You know, and you, you go, to, and, you know, they, they kind of, they mask it all in deep intellectualism. Yes, you know, yeah, verily, and the Lord spaketh unto Joshua. 
having a, having a, having a, having a, having a, having a. And the Lord spake, and he said, you know, tabernacle shall be built, and 16 cubits, and having a, having a. And it was, oh, man, oh, what's that? oh, this guy, he's so smart, isn't he? I don't know anything. And, and it's all, but listen, you, 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 you don't need to just know what God said. Because God, God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one who was, who is, and is to come. See, God is Trinity, and he lives in the three dimensions of time. Whether you realize it or not, not only is the Trinity real, but, but time is a Trinity. Everything in the world is a Trinity. You don't have time for it. You know, past, present, and future. Time is divided. You have a past, you have a present, and you have a future. God reigns in everyone. Because he's the same yesterday, past, today, present, and future. So I thank God for what he's doing right now. I thank God that he's moving in my life. I thank God that he's redeeming my life from destruction, crowning me with the loving kindness, that he's restoring things, that he's blessing, that he's breaking things, and he's delivering things into my hand. But can I tell you, I go another step of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving also needs to be in a future tense. I thank God for his promises that have not yet manifested, that have not yet come into my life, but I know whom I have believed. I know that God is not a man that he should lie. If God has promised that I can take it to the bank, it is a certainty it is a surety that what God has spoken is going to come to pass in my life so can I say it's not arrogant it's not presumptuous for you to go into a dimension of thanksgiving where you thank God for what he is doing thank you God for what you're going to do thank you Lord that I am going to be healed thank you that I'm going to be married thank you that I'm going to be blessed thank you that this debt is cancelled in the name of Jesus Christ thank you that my home is paid off thank you that I have friends thank you that I have a prosperous life thank you that you're unlocking the visions and the dreams and the hopes on the inside of even though I haven't not yet tasted it, I thank you, God, that because you've spoken, it's going to come to pass in my life. Third thing that Jesus does, oh, I'm out of time. I'm, I've got two more points, I can't. Who'll give me just two more minutes? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. That's more than enough. My Lord, you guys are crazy. All right, so point number three. So he looks up to heaven. What's number two? Gives thanks. Number three, I haven't told you yet. Number three is he blesses or he blessed. Now, the Greek word blessed is the word eulogio. Eulogio is where we get the word eulogy. Eulogy. Or as Fraser was saying to me before the the, the service, are you a Googleizer? One who speaks at funerals? Or did you not know, did you not think that I knew what a Googly was? But so it's... It's actually pronounced eulogy. And, and, and a, eulogy, a eulogy is to speak well of. It, may, it literally means to speak well of. Eulogio means to speak well of. Now, how many people know that a eulogy happens at funerals? Where someone has died, some, somebody that is a loved one, somebody who we're dear to, someone who we're close to, and then we get up and we, and we, we, we speak a eulogy. We speak well of the person who's deceased. We speak well of, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our broken, we speak well What comes out of you in the midst of pain or disappointment or hurting? See, Jesus does not have enough resources in front of him. But he doesn't curse what he has. He blesses what he has. This, this is a word for somebody here today. When you look at the future, when you look at, well, look at the housing prices in Noosa. It's going up. And then do not do, don't, 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 don't go, I'll never own a house. Oh, don't say that. Oh, with these prices, we'll never be able to afford. Oh, don't say that. Why? Because Jesus said it is as you say. It is as you say. Pilate's interviewing Jesus, and he says, are you the king of the Jews then? Jesus says, I know who I am. It's not what I say about me. It is as you say. The Bible says that whoever believes in his heart 
and confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, he or she will be saved. It doesn't doesn't matter what God has said, it matters what you have said. What do you say? Thief on the cross says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise because it is as you say. So don't, don't curse your situation. Don't curse your struggle. Speak well. Speak blessing. But oh, that, oh, I'm just a realist. I hear all of that. Confess it. Possess it. Blab it and grab it. I just, I just want to be real. I'm just into reality. Can I tell you, I'm also into reality. I'm into creating brand new realities. If you don't like this reality, don't stamp it in concrete. I, the Bible says that God, Romans 4, 17, God speaks those things that are not as though they are. God speaks those things as, that are not as though they are. Why, why does God do that? Because he's a creator. Well, whose image are you and I made in? Who are being fashioned and forged into, into his image? What does God do? God speaks those things that are not as though they are. Don't say, well, you know, this lump's probably cancer. Don't speak that. Speak by his stripes, I am healed. Speak, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because it is as you say. You've got to speak blessing. So Jesus looks up to heaven, heavenly vision. Jesus gives thanks, thankfulness. Number three, he blessed. He speaks blessing. But then number four, the Bible says he took the bread and he broke it and gave it away and distributed it to the disciples. The miracle did not happen because he looked up to heaven. The multiplication miracle did not happen because he gave thanks. The multiplication miracle did not even happen because he blessed it. The bread only began to multiply when Jesus broke and distributed. When Jesus broke and distributed. Can I tell you, while it's whole, nothing's going to change. You can look, you can thankful, you can bless. But at some point, the rubber's got to hit the road. At some point, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And so Jesus breaks the bread and begins to distribute. See, the Bible says that God gives seed to the sower. If you ain't got no seed, you've got to ask yourself, am I a sower? The Bible says give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together. There's got to be a flow out. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 2, I think it's verse 15, it says, and a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. The river didn't flow into Eden. It flowed out of Eden to water the garden. There's got to be a flow out. There's got to be a flow out. So, so 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. Hanging on a cross, the Bible says it was dark, dark from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And Jesus cried out 12 noon to 3 p.m. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus became sin, 2, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus became sin. When Jesus became sin, God separated himself from his son. And Jesus felt the abandonment on the cross. The reason he did that was so that you and I could stand before God sinless and not feel rejection and not feel abandoned by God, but rather be accepted by God. That's worth giving him a clap for right there. But at that moment, at that moment, when, when, when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? For that brief moment, the Trinity was broken. The Trinity was broken because God lives the principles that he teaches you and I. The Trinity was broken and God was distributing Jesus, who is the bread of heaven, to mankind so that we can feed on him, so that the multitudes can be saved. Today, because God broke and gave his only begotten son, there are literally 2.4 
billion Christians on this planet that confess Jesus as Lord and Savior over their lives because of what God did. He had one son, he breaks and distributes, and now he has billions of sons and daughters. Can I encourage you today, church, that what you withhold leads to poverty, but there is one who scatters and yet increases more. Don't withhold what God has put in your hand. Begin to break. Break some time to serve in the house of God. Break to volunteer. Break to attend the connect group. Break to get into the courses. Break to be disciple. Because what, what, what holds together doesn't multiply until it's broken and given. Until it's broken and given. God is a giver. For God so loved the word, he gave. Well, I don't believe we should give to get. Well, read your Bible. Unless you're more spiritual than God, and if you are, we'll just take a moment, fly around the room for me. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? See, God gave expecting to get. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because he was expecting to get billions and billions of sons and daughters in return for his giving. Jesus looks up to heaven, gives thanks, blessed, broke, and distributed. The greatest thing we can do is break our pride and come and give our lives to Christ on an altar. Break our pride and give our lives in service. Break our pride and come to a place where we can be discipled and spoken into. Amen? Amen. You've been fantastic this morning. Come on, give the Lord a great clap offer as we come to a close. Would you just do this? Would you just close your eyes? Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Visit us online at c3noosa.org.